morning, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Andrea, and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. Uh, very nervous alcoholic at that, and um, I didn't I didn't start getting nervous until um, I had got home this afternoon and had a call from one of my home group members, and you know she was just saying how much of an honor and privilege it is to be asked to speak at a convention and to be the um, kickoff speaker at that, and um, and when she said, and when she said that, um, I just really start getting nervous. And um, and then um, and then on the way here, you know, I just thought about how much of an honor and privilege it is to be able to be asked to speak at a convention, and you know, just getting curious. So I hope I don't cry through the whole lead here. Um, I hope I'll be able to share what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today in a general way. And um, uh. I've already said my name and got that out of the way. And um, um, I was born in Akron, Ohio. Uh, I, I guess that's the birth. Did I hear clapping? <laughs> um, yeah, I was born and raised there. Uh, I moved here when I was 19 years old. But when I was growing up, it was just my mother and myself. Didn't know that that was the birthplace of AA. Uh, didn't know anything about it until I came into these rooms. Uh, I remember when I first kind of got here, the first, <clears throat> excuse me, the first sponsor that I had, she was telling me about, um, how they have Founders Day there every year in Akron and, and, um, they get together on the campus and everything and, you know, um, she was surprised I had never heard anything about it. But, you know, the more, the thing that I know is that the more and more I keep coming around, the more that will be revealed. And I remember one, um, I remember one weekend I had went home before I came into the fellowship and I remember reading the newspaper to look up on the game scores, you know. In the front of the paper it had this, uh, picture in the thick caption and it said, um, something like, alcoholics invade the downtown campus. And, <laughs> and, uh, and it had a, a blurry picture of these people walking across the street and I thought, why they arrest those alcoholics? You know, don't don't just let them tear up our campus. You know, and um, you know, had no idea that it was Alcoholics Anonymous and that they were sober alcoholics. <laughs> anyway, um, I uh, I first um, you know, like I said, it was my mother and myself when I was growing up, and I remember her boyfriend coming over at the time, and and. Uh, They'd be sitting there, and he'd be drinking some beer, and it looked so good, you know, the sweat pouring off of it and everything, and I think, wow, you know, I want some of that, and he would give me a sip, and I think, ooh, this is nasty, you know, and then um, the next week, he'd come over, and, you know, I see that same thing, and I think, maybe this time it'll be different, and uh, I'd ask him for a sip, and I'd take a sip, and Sure enough, it tastes the same, you know. And I told myself that I would never drink beer again. And um, that's kind of like how my whole life has been, you know, doing things and then it get me in trouble or whatever. And then, you know, the same thing comes around and I'll say, well, maybe this time it'll be different, you know. Maybe this time I can do it a little different and the consequences won't be the same. Uh, but they were always the same. Um, as a matter of fact, that's what brought me to AA. But um, as a kid growing up, I was selfish, self-centered, self-seeking. Um, if I had toys and brought them outside, they were my toys. And if you brought toys outside, they were my toys too. And, uh, you know, and I had never heard um, anything like that before until a couple of days ago. I was over at one of my coworkers' house, and her cousins, two cousins were there, and her sister was there. And uh, her cousin was talking about how, this little girl was over at her house. She was the only child, and she was so selfish, and she had this doll baby, but she wouldn't let the other kids play with it, but wanted to play with their toys, and then told because she couldn't play with it. And uh, she, she just, this lady just couldn't understand how could be, a kid could be that selfish. You know, but I was sitting there soaking it all in. I said, I understand wholeheartedly, you know, because I was that way. Um, I had a lot of... Um, you know, through doing an inventory and everything, I can take a look back over my life and and um, see that 
you know, like I said, I was selfish, self-centered, and selfish in person. I also had feelings of abandonment, um, stories of loneliness, and like I didn't fit in anywhere. Um, you know, my mother used to go out and party and uh, would leave me at home in the apartment by myself. And I thought, um, you know, I could remember being left alone and just crying all night long and thinking that she would never come back. Um, but she did. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, nothing happened when she was gone. Um, the one time a fire did break out, she was there and I was able to get out and safety. Um, like I said, it was just me and my mother growing up and, uh, this is hard work. My mind is like going blank. Can't remember stuff. Um, anyway, um, I always went to school trying to get good grades and everything and, and just trying to be a good kid and just trying to win my mother's affection and get her to pay attention to me and everything. So she was kind of off doing her own thing with partying and or whatever. Um, I had a grandmother, I had grandparents that basically, they basically took care of me a lot, you know. And at the age of 13, my grandmother passed away. And uh, I can remember that morning, and I sat there on the couch, you know, while the paramedics were up with her. And I remember, you know, looking up to the ceiling and saying, God, you know, if you let her live, I'll do anything that you would want me to do. And um, I found out later that my grandmother had died. Um, the next year, my grandfather died. And I believe that he died because he felt that he had nothing else to live for after my grandmother had passed. And I can um, say to you today that, you know, I remember thinking about back at that time, um, how could these people leave me here at the hands of these people that know nothing about living life? Because uh, my mother and all of my um, aunts and uncles, they, they depended on my grandparents a lot for uh, financial support or, or other kind of support. And um, so I, I started my first addiction of um, eating. And um, after a while, I went to high school and uh, I started started doing uh, um, drugs, like smoking marijuana and trying to fit in with the other kids. And uh, I used that as a coping mechanism because I found that if you smoke marijuana, you know, um, it gave you the monkey. And uh, then, you know, if people knew that, they wouldn't bother you at lunchtime. They wouldn't take your lunch. So... Uh, <laughs> I would um I would act like I was high, you know, and because I didn't have the courage to tell them, you know, hey, you know, leave me alone, leave my lunch alone, don't eat my lunch. So um, you know, I'd just do that instead of just being truthful and up up front with them. Uh, by the grace of God, I graduated from high school barely, and a year after I graduated, I moved to Columbus. I started working at um, a place called DCSD. It was a government job, and I was a temporary person. I remember just feeling like um, I was always kind of paranoid. You know, I always thought that people were talking about me and everything. And you know, um, th when I was here um, listening to a lead one time, this lady said she had a sign on her door that said. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that people aren't talking about you. And uh, I can I can relate to that, you know. I really could. And um, so I brought those feelings with me and everything. And uh, I remember my friends at work, they would be talking about getting carded and going out and having a good time drinking and everything. And I wanted to have fun, too. So uh, one of my friends took me out to a bar, and um, I didn't know what to order. And she ordered me a Long Island iced tea. And uh I drank that thing down and uh I felt like I had arrived. I felt I felt I felt a part of um you know, p things that people said it didn't bother me. Um I just I just felt really good. Uh she didn't even drink the rest of her, so I voluntarily drank the rest of her and uh just was feeling no pain. And uh, you know, from that time on I, I drank I drank to get drunk. You know, um I drank to um just just to fit in, to feel a part of and um 
you know, with drinking, I did things that I normally wouldn't do, like um, stand on tables and dance, like, because I'm afraid of heights. And uh, so drinking really, you know, gave me that false courage. And um, I remember, you know, going to cabarets and uh, we, we would take our own uh, alcohol and uh, um, they introduced me to a 151 rum and uh, they put it in a cup. And um, my back was turned, so I took a sip of it, and I almost gagged. And um, my friend came up to me and said, don't drink any yet. We're going to put some Coke in there. I was like, ooh, thank God, you know. Because, you know, if I had to, I would have drank it down, you know. But um, when she said, we're going to add Coke, I, I thought, oh, that's good. You know, I don't have to, you know, just drink it down, you know. And um, I remember that night just getting really, really drunk. And uh, like I said, dancing on the table, standing on the chairs, and uh, just afraid of heights. But alcohol gave me that false courage. Um, after a while, I went to work at the Huntington Bank because, like I said, I was only a temporary at that job. And uh, so that cut out a lot of my drinking a little bit and partying. And uh, I worked at nighttime, second shift, and I really loved that job. And um, after I worked there six months, the government called me back and uh, had an interview, and I was trying my best not to get that job, you know. I did not want to go back and work there, um, and they hired me, and uh, so I, I told them I wouldn't be able to start for two weeks, and I thought that was, you know, they said, okay, never mind. They said, okay, we'll wait, you know, so I um, went back to work at this place, BCS, and um, it, my drinking and stuff just picked up. Um, not only was I drinking on the weekends, I started drinking during the week because I found people that like to party just like I did. Uh, we would go at lunchtime and, and get drunk and everything. Um, things that were going on around that time is, you know, I had a boss that, um, just said, you know, we got to look out for ourselves and everything and, um, and was saying all this stuff and, and then next thing I know, she wanted to get rid of me. Now, for a long time, I used to blame her for wanting to get rid of me and everything, like it was all her fault. But since coming into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and working the steps, I found that, you know, I played a big part in that, you know, and my part is just not um, willing to do the things that were um, asked of me to do. So, um, you know, I can't, I can't really fault her. And I went to work in a different section because, like I said, she was trying to get rid of me. And um, there I had a boss that liked to drink like I did. And, you know, he would always borrow money, and he made more money than I did. And uh, so there again, instead of just saying no, I um, went back and worked at the place that I originally worked at when I first came to Columbus. And um, I went back and worked there, even though I would have I was the same grade and, um, nothing was going to be changing. I told him that, you know, I was going to be working night shift and, and all of that. And I just said that so I could get away from, you know, working under him instead of saying no. Um, my drinking picked up even more. Um, I just, you know, I just was, I guess I was just bored with life and everything. And, and I just, um, I just partied a lot. And I liked to party. And around that time, too, I, we discovered, um, this place called the Romani Inn up out east, and uh, they would have a band that came there every week. They perform Monday through Saturday, and me and my friends we would go there every day uh, faithfully. And you know, for me, I went there faithfully because I felt that if I didn't go this one day, they might play the song that I wanted to hear. And <laughs> I didn't know what the song was, but I just knew that they just might play it. So, um, so I went every day and, um, we were, we were like little groupies. We would follow this band to Chillicothe and to Newark and wherever we went, we brought the party with us, you know, and met a lot of people and everything. Uh, came towards the end, you know, my friends would say when we went there, you know, Andrea, when we get there, you know, be cool, you know, don't act up. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, they said, you know, just just be cool. And uh, I said, whatever. So we go there, and uh, I have one drink. And, you know, one drink would just kind of take the ease of the day off of you. You know, you get more relaxed and everything. 
and two drinks, you know, my foot would get this happen. And three or four drinks, I'd be out on the floor dancing. About five or six drinks, I was up on the stage with the band trying to play their instrument. And, uh, you know, that's what, um, that's what my friends meant by, you know, not acting up. And, uh, you know, towards the end, I, um, I went back to doing what I said I wouldn't do, like drink beer. And, um, because it came a time when I didn't have the money to afford anything else. And so, um, I would go up there and, um, I have to tell you that my main purpose in going to the bars and going to that particular bar every single day, not only was to see the band, but to get in good with the bartenders and the waitresses so that you know, if I kept coming long enough, they'll know my face, and then eventually I get some free drinks, and um, and that's what I did, and uh, nothing that I'm proud of or anything, but that's just the way, you know, that's just the way it went. That's just the way um, alcohol took me. You know, I don't know, but um, I just used to go there, and I finally, you know, like I said, I started drinking beer, and um, the one thing that I said I would never drink, and and um, I would go there with maybe one dollar in my pocket, and it was fifty cents at happy hour. And I sit my dollar out there, and the bar, the waitress would pour me a drink, and um, I drink it, and she'd come around and get the glass and pour some more, and um, she would, that dollar would still be sitting there. And so by the time I got finished drinking, she hadn't taken that dollar, so I just took the dollar and I would leave. So. <laughs> You know, I was just very sick individual, you know. Um, you know, then I, um, I got into, um, I wasn't hanging around friends that much anymore, you know, because they were all doing other things. And, um, things that I said I would never do, like, um, doing drugs, like crack cocaine and all that stuff. But eventually I got hooked up into doing that. And I'm not going to really go into all that, but to say that it took me down really hard, and it's what brought me to the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I just remember one day just staying up all late, chasing that drug. And uh, um, I remember just spending my whole paycheck and going home and just feeling really depressed. And I got home, and my aunt was waiting for me, and she said, you know, where have you been? And I said, oh, I was playing cards, and I fell asleep. And uh, I proceeded to go into my bedroom to sleep for a couple of hours because I had to go to my second job. Uh, in the meantime, that paranoia started stepping in, and uh, I was hearing coughing, and I thought my aunt was in there talking to my mother. So I said, well, maybe it's the TV. So I would turn on the TV, and um, it would be the TV, and I'd turn it off and try to go back to sleep. And then I'd hear that talking again. I'd turn on the TV to see if it was the TV. It was the TV, so I'd turn it off again. And, um, and that's just how it went until I had to go to my second job. And I didn't um, work that whole day. I ended up having to go home because I was so sick on the job. Um, that year, it was like New Year's Eve that day, and so I slept the New Year's Day in, the New Year's Eve in, um, just slept non-straight. Um, I swore off of it. I said, I'll never do that again, and um, I didn't for a while. I got a, um apartment with a, a girl that I used to work, that I worked with, a co-worker. We um, went in on an apartment, and so I quit doing drugs, and then I just drank. Eventually, you know, um, that wasn't enough, and I started back in the drugs, and they took me downhill, took me into just um, writing bad checks and uh, spending my half of the rent money and her half of the rent money, um, going to work about two or three days a week, um, calling in sick all the time or just not showing up. Uh, and I couldn't, I was mad too because we worked at the same place and I couldn't understand why I couldn't get a ride to work with her. And, um, you know, but it wasn't her fault. Uh, so, um, towards the end, you know, there was a lady at work that said, you know, Andrea, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to get some help. And, um, I asked her what did she think I needed to do and she said, you know, you need to call the EAP counselor at work and, and go see him. So I did that. And, uh, 
I would go to him, and I would never tell him exactly what was going on. I just said that I need a better job. I need to be making more money and stuff like that. Um, my um, car, in the meantime, had got sick. You know, it was worn down. And uh, I put it in the shop, and I never could get it out. Every time I got paid, I'd say I was going to get it out, and instead I'd be drinking and using drugs. So, um, after a while, uh, my aunt found out about um, me being behind on my car note, and she told my mother, and my mother called me at work, and uh, she said, you know, we found out you're behind this much, $900, I think. And so what have you been doing? And I said, you know, it's what you've been thinking all along. I've been uh, drinking and using drugs. And she said, you know, um, what kind? And I told her. And she said, well, uh, we're not going to talk now, but after work, I want you to go over to your aunt's house and call me. So I immediately um, got off the phone, and I went to see the EAP counselor. And um, that day, I admitted to him what I had been doing. And he already knew what I was doing because he would see me and my best friend leaving out the gate, um, going to do our thing, you know. And so he knew, you know, exactly what I was doing. And uh, I told him, and he said, you know, go back to your job because my aunt was planning on having my car repossessed. So I went back to my job, and I made a phone call to the car place, and, and um, they said, you know, it's already been taken care of. And I, I'm like, no, you know, they said they were going to have it repossessed. And he said, no. And um, I said, um, how many calls have you gotten today? And he said, two. And I knew that my aunt had called back. And so um, instead of going over my aunt's house, I went over to this lady's house from work, uh, the one that had kind of intervened the first time. I went over her house, and then I called my mother from there. And, um, and I was crying. You know, and uh, my mother said, you know, don't cry, don't cry. Um, you're going to make me start crying. And she said, we want to help you, but you got to be willing to help yourself. And I said, what do you want me to do? She said, we want you to move back in with your aunt, and we want you to get some help. And I said, okay, you know, I can do that. And um, in the meantime, she wanted to talk to the lady whose house I was over, and so I called her on the phone. And uh, while she was talking to my mother, I went out and sat with her husband. And um, her husband offered me a beer. And, you know, and I looked at him and I said, man, you know, that's all right. I don't I don't want it. You know, I'm through. And number one, because I knew that, you know, I just didn't. I was tired. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Number two, I knew, and most importantly, number two, I knew that one beer was not going to be enough for me. You know, that I needed more than one beer. And so um, I just said, no, you know, um, that's all right. Uh, my mother came up, that was a Monday. My mother came to Columbus on uh, Wednesday, and she took me to this mental health place. And uh, they had me fill out this questionnaire, and they would ask me about my drinking and everything. And I lied big time on that form. And uh my mother. My grandmother would get on my mother, and then my my mother would get on me. You know, so I learned, after a few times of doing that, I learned not to tell anything else that went on in the household because it would always come back on me. You know, and since I've been in recovery, I um told my uncle about that. And, um, and you know, he said something. He said, uh, you know, the reason why I told is because even at a very early age, as a young kid, I knew that what was going on was not right, you know, and I felt that you were in danger. That's why I told. And, you know, I thought, wow, you know, um, I didn't know that back then, you know. I had no, no um, comprehension of that. And um, it's only through, you know, like going through this program and everything that I was able to share that with him and he was able to um, share with me what he thought what he was thinking about that time. So anyway, um, this counselor, you know, I could tell he's trying to get at those things deep inside. And, and so I told him, um, I didn't say anything. And we left there. But I knew that I wanted to go back to him because I knew that, you know, I eventually could share some things with him. 
Uh, the next day, my mother took me to um, what was called St. Anthony's Hospital, um, Talbot Hall, and uh, there again, they gave me this questionnaire. And um, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, oh, man, what did I put on the one the day before, you know? Because I just knew that they were going to be taking those two applications and comparing them and uh, catch me in a lie. So I, I took the longest time trying to fill that out. And uh, then we went up to see the counselor, and uh, the counselor left my mother outside, and he took me in the office, and he says, we're going to fill this out the right way. And uh, I was like, okay, whatever. And so he asked me the questions all over again. And I got a little bit more honest, but not very much. And then he called my mother in the room, and he said, um, right in front of my mother, he said, you know, you're an addict. And I thought, how dare he? He doesn't even know me. And uh, so then I looked at my mother, and we kind of had these eye signals going on. And uh, my eyes were saying, did you hear what he called your daughter? He called me an addict. And then her eye said to me, he's right, you are. <laughs> you know? And I thought, oh, man, I don't believe this. You know, I'm thinking all this in my mind. Oh, man, you just want to take away all my fun. You know, that's all right, because I can drink. And um, then in the next breath, he said, and you're an alcoholic, too. That means you can't drink. And I was like, oh, you just want to take away all my fun, you know. And it was not any fun in the end, you know. I have to remember that. It was no fun whatsoever. Um, we left there. My mother said, I like him. You go here. And uh, I said, oh, man. And so they, um, they started me in treatment there, outpatient treatment. And um, they said that if they ever found any alcohol or drugs in my urine, they would admit me to the hospital. And that there was enough to scare me because I had never been into the hospital for a long period of time. So um, that kind of scared me right there. Um, I um, I remember, uh, you know, they set me up with the schedule and everything, and I started the going to counseling, and he wanted me to go to three meetings a week. Um, the first meeting that I went to, my aunt took me, and I remember walking in, and I saw this guy getting on the elevator, and then when I was walking to the meeting, that guy came down, and he just kind of latched on to me, and he said, you know, you're new, aren't you? And I said, yes, and he said, this is my third time. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and uh, didn't think nothing of it, and he was saying, you have a sponsor? And I said, What's that? And he said, you know, a sponsor, someone that you talk to and do the steps with and kind of tell about your day or whatever. And I said, oh, yeah, my mother and my aunt, they're my sponsor. You know? <laughs> and uh, he he tried to get me, he said, um, to hook up with the um, chairperson of the meeting. And um, when they were asking for clean time, zero to 30 days, he kind of nudged me and told me to raise my hand, and I, so I raised it, and they gave me a keychain and everything, and um, so I remember leaving there, and well, my first meeting, you know, it just freaked me out, because the walk in there and see people hugging each other and everything, and the smiling going on, and I'm thinking, what is this, and uh, they started the meeting, and it started going around the room, and they were like doing this chant, you know, at first they said the serenity prayer, and I'm like, I remember seeing that in my grandparents' home as a little kid, you know, so I was saying that right along with them, and then they would bring up a topic, and they were going around the room, and everybody was saying, hi, my name is so-and-so, and then they either talk or they'll say, I pass, and um, I was like, oh, gosh, I got to remember this, you know, because when it get around to me, you know, I got to know what to do. And um, and I remember it came around to me. I said, hi, my name is Andrea. I'm a phone addict. I passed, you know. And, um, you know, there, you know, that just shows how much of a follower I was also. You know, anything that you were doing, I was going to do, you know, to try and fit in with you. And, um, you know, today I don't have to do that. I can just be myself. And that's really cool because people just like me for me. And that's really cool. Um. But uh, after that meeting, I remember going out and getting in my aunt's car, and she said, how was it? And I was like, it was okay. It's kind of um, thick in there, but it's okay, you know. 
And uh, so the next meeting, the next day, we went to another meeting, and this man, he kind of acted on to me and was talking to me after the meeting. And I'm like, whatever, you know, I'm just here for the time being. And um, I went to a meeting the next day. And, you know, and, you know, things that I heard in the meeting was that if I go back out there, I'm going to die. And um, and they um, they also said about after the meeting, pick up the ashtrays and the coffee cup. And I thought, I thought, well, I don't drink coffee. I don't smoke cigarettes. Why do I have to do that stuff? You know, and then they said, you know, you never know who's picking up that same ashtray or that same coffee cup. You know, the one that you reach for, somebody else might be reaching for it. And you get to shake your hand and meet a friend, you know. And um, and um, that stuck with me because, you know, I wanted so desperately to have friends. Um, because I wasn't from here in Columbus and I only had a few friends. You know, so I, I have always wished that I had grew up here in Columbus so I can have a lot of friends. So that kind of stuck with me, and so I started putting up the chairs and emptying out the ashtrays and throwing away the coffee cups and stuff. Um, there came a time when I, um, one day I had to go to court, and my aunt said, you know, they'll probably put you in jail, and I don't have a lawyer for you right now. I can't get you out tonight. You'll have to wait till in the morning. And I was scared to death. And uh, we went down to the courthouse, and um, none of the, it was for writing those bad checks. And uh, none of the people showed up except for one, and it was Kmart. And um, today I'm grateful because, you know, I had wrote a check for $2 and something, you know. And uh, sometimes I would think, God, $2, why don't I write it for $20 or something like that? But I'm glad that I didn't because at the time, that's all me and my aunt had on us at the time. So I was able to pay that off and leave. And then I went straight to my friend's house that, you know, was doing the things that I used to do and um, and proceeded to uh, use drugs. And everything that I had heard in the meeting came rushing back to me. And I thought, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I ran out of that apartment straight to a meeting, high as a kite. And I went in there, and I was, like, pacing around, like, wishing they would hurry up and start the meeting. And I thought, I got, there goes that paranoia again, and I thought everybody was looking at me. And, uh, they sat down, they started the meeting, and, uh, they asked for clean time, zero to 30 days. And I raised my hand like I had 30 days of sobriety, knowing I didn't probably have about 30 minutes of sobriety. And, uh, then they brought up a topic and it started going around the room. And it got to me, and I had the nerve to start commenting with maybe about 10 minutes of sobriety, you know. And, uh, you know, started having this out-of-body experience, you know, <laughs> whereas my mouth was just talking, 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 and this guy over here was laughing at me, and uh, I was like, I was trying to have an out-of-body experience where I'm looking at myself saying, shut up, shut up, they know you're high, they know you're high, and, and I just kept talking and kept talking, and I'm like standing there, shut up, shut up, you know, pass, and I uh, just kept talking. And this guy over here is laughing, and finally I just said, okay, I'll pass, you know. And I was like, whew, you know, God. And then <laughs> this guy over here, he he says, I wasn't laughing at you. I was laughing with you because I can relate. And I thought, man, you're just as sick as I am, you know. <laughs> I knew what I had just did, you know. So, um, you know, that kind of started my journey. And, uh. You know, they would talk about the steps and everything in my um, outpatient treatment. I was like, what are these steps? And the guys would say, you know, they're being read at the beginning of each meeting. You know, pay attention. And so when I went to my next meeting, I listened up for them and, and I found out what they were. Because they always talk about the first three were the hardest, you know. But the first one, they said, was a doozy, you know. And I always thought that, you know, they say these three steps. And I think. They were talking about the steps at a doctor's office. You know those ones where you go up one, two, three, and then go down one, two, three. And I thought, oh man, I'm gonna have to go to the gym and start getting in shape. You know, <laughs> especially for that first one. You know, and um, and then I finally, you know, I finally just asked, you know, because I hadn't been going to the gym, so I finally just asked, and they told me what they were. And then, you know, in in the outpatient, they would be quoting pages out of the big book and everything and so I would go to my Bible and uh turn to that page and I'm like, Well I don't see that, you know. And uh I just be reading my Bible and everything 
And um, finally, I went to that outpatient group, and they were talking about these pages and stuff. And I'm like, well, what is this big book you guys are talking about, you know? And um, well, before that, you know, I went home, and I was talking to my mother, and I said, Mom, you know, they keep talking about this big book. And she said, well, what is it? She said, is it the Bible? I said, no, it's bigger than the Bible. And uh, <laughs> she said, uh, she said, well, what is it? I said, I don't know. And she said, well, well, how much does it cost? And I said, I don't know. I think it costs about $25. And uh, she said, well, you'll just have to save up your money so that you can get one. And she said, you think they have one at the library? I said, no, I don't think so. So, you know, probably the next day I went to the meeting and uh, I asked these guys, I said, you know, what is the big book? And they said, um, you know, they told me what it was. And the one guy said, I'll bring you one tomorrow. And um, and he did just that. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful for the guys that were in my outpatient, you know. Um, I was the only black woman in there. I was the only woman in there. And it was all these guys, and uh, they treated me like I was their little sister. And uh, you know, I'll forever be indebted to them, you know, for just looking out for me. They was always scared for me, uh, scared that I wouldn't make it. But um, did, and um, I'm here today. I have to tell you that I hadn't planned on staying here a long time, um, but um, through the grace of God, uh, my last drink. Or anything that uh, protects me from the head up was um, August 28th of 1989. And um, I've been just taking it one day at a time, you know. I never wanted to stay here this long. Uh, I always, <laughs> I, I would tell you, I would tell people in the beginning, I say, you know, I'm just waiting for six months. I'll be out of treatment. And I'm going back out and I'm going to sit at my favorite bar and tell how I got sent to Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, and then I thought, you know, I'm going to stay here a year. And then after I get a year, I'm going to go back out and I'm going to take a drink. And then I'm going to come back in. And then I'm going to wait five years. And then I'm going to go back out and take a drink. And then I'm going to come back in. I'm going to wait ten years. <laughs> sick. I was, I was very sick. And uh, I just, you know, I don't know. But, um, you know, oh, God. Sobriety has been, it's been, um, up and down roller coaster, I tell you. Some of the things uh, that happened to me before Alcoholics Anonymous have happened to me in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I've had to learn how to deal with it and I'm sober. And uh, I've learned about, you know, trying to stay positive because whenever I feel negative, I just get so tired and bummed out, and all of my energy is just exhausted. And uh, so I learned that, you know, so whatever situation that I'm in is trying to be positive and content. Um, I don't always, I'm not always like that. Uh, I'm not. But um, one day at a time, you know, I, I try to the best of my ability. Um, I've had numerous sponsors in the program, um, and a lot of it was because of me, you know, my unwillingness to just um, be patient. You know, I just take things one day at a time. I'm the type of person I want it, and I want it now, you know. And um, I had one sponsor who took me through the first three steps. And then the next sponsor I got, um, you know, I remember seeing her in a meeting, and, and I'd never seen her before, and she said, I went in there and sat down and she what the what? People don't go around and shake hands or hug anymore? And I thought, who is this newcomer, you know, and uh, <laughs> to myself. And uh, she came around and shook hands and everything. And, and then the chairperson of the meeting gave her the coins to give out. And I thought, well, how come a newcomer gets to give out the coins, you know? Why didn't he give them to me or whatever? And uh, this is my thinking early on. I don't think that way today. But, um, you know, for any other newcomers out there. But, um, you know, and then... You know, when she announced her time, she had like three years and uh, clean and sober. And I thought, wow, you know, I just thought that was awesome. And after the meeting, I got her phone number and I started calling her, calling her on a daily basis. Um, she would read the medication book to me, the 24-hour day book. And then she would say, um, 
she would just read it to me and everything, and I would get a lot out of it. And then it came a day when, you know, I was going to go to the central office and get one on my own. And I remember going down the central office it was on, when it was on Broad Street, and uh, I walked in the front door, and it just seemed like that hall was the longest hall I had ever seen. And uh, I said, I cannot go down to the end of that hall. And I saw a door right here, and I said, I'll just stop in there and get my 24-hour day book, and I'm gone. So I went in there, and I got my book, and I left. That night, I said, oh, I'm going to give my sponsor a seat. I'm going to read from her tonight. So I called her up, and I started reading, and she said, Andrea, she called me Andrea. My name is Andrea. Though. She said, Andrea, what are you reading? And I said, I'm reading the 24-hour day book. She said, what does it say in the front? I said, it's 24 hours a day in Al-Anon. <laughs> you didn't get the right one. You need to go back tomorrow and get the right one. So I did. I went back and got the right one and uh, went down that long hallway. And, uh, you know, I started working the steps with her. And then we got to that fourth step. And I thought, oh, no, I'm not going through this fourth step with her, you know. And um, not going to be telling all of my business. And so. I, uh, you know, started uh, looking around for another one, and uh, I heard this lady uh, speak. Uh, it was at a Wednesday night meeting, and uh, the first time I had paid attention to her, I had a year for mine, I had a coin, and I was letting her see it, and she said, ooh, good vibes, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, and uh, so, and then, so the next time I saw her, um, she was leaving, and uh, she caught my attention from the very beginning, and she was talking about the steps, and she was talking about practicing this program, and, and she really caught my attention because she talked about it like practicing uh, basketball, practicing her free throws at the foul line, and, um, you know, just stand up there and keep shooting so you can make so many in a row and everything, and that really caught my attention, and uh, after the meeting, uh, I got a phone number, and the next day I asked her to be my sponsor. And uh, she's been my sponsor ever since, but uh, she moved down to Florida. So, um, therefore, a while I kept her, and then um, uh, then it got to the point, like people say, you know, it's like I needed some skin, you know, something to feel right here in Columbus. And um, I had got another sponsor, but you know, with that sponsor, I started working the steps, and and I worked through all of the steps with her, you know. It came to that fourth step, and um, I was procrastinating, and she said, she had a friend in the car with her, and she said, if your sponsor wouldn't do the fourth step, what would you do? And uh, she said, well, I'll tell you what I did with mine. I took her out on the boat with a notepad and a pencil and everything, and I let her sit out in that boat with that notepad and pencil and everything, and I took the oars, and I went back to shore and left her out there. <laughs> And so I thought, okay, I'll do it because I can't swim, you know. And, you know, it never occurred to me until recently. How did she get back to shore without this boat? You know, I was just thinking about that a couple of weeks ago. They were, they were pulling my leg. So, but um, anyway, I did it, you know. And, and my sponsor, her name is uh, Tammy at the time, and she was saying, you know, she was just hardcore. I didn't like her sometimes. And she would say, um, I called her up with a problem, and she said, it's in the book. I was like, what's in the book? The solution to your problem. Well, what's my problem? It's in the book. Well, what's in the book? The solution to your problem. Well, what? And, you know, we would go on and on, and, I, oh, I, she just make me mad. And then she'd do something, I'd get upset, and I wouldn't call her for about a week. And then I'd call her up, and... Then we'd be talking, and after a while she'd do something, I wouldn't call her for about three days, and then it got to a point where I said, you know, well, I was mad at you, and um, that's why I haven't called you and everything, and, you know, it's like, that's what off her back, she's still sober, you know, <laughs> and uh, so it got to the point where, you know, and it got lesser and lesser to the point where I was able to say in one conversation, well, I'm really upset about what you just said, but I'm okay with it. You know, and sometimes she would say, and I don't care that you're upset, you know. And uh, and she just do things, and she'd say, um, I have a problem, and she'd say, uh, 
I want you to look in your 12 and 12 and find rule number 62. And uh, she said, oh, it would be real easy for me to tell you where it is, but I'm not. And I thought, oh, how seriously. And uh, so I would flip through the pages trying to look and see if I saw 62 anywhere. And uh, it never did jump out at me, so I thought, oh, i got to read these traditions, you know. So I go on and read it. And then when I got to rule number 62, I just got even madder, you know. And I thought, how dare she. But um, that she was really good for me, and she's still good for me today. Um, I've had a couple of sponsors after that time, but I have one right now, and she's here today, and I'm, I'm so glad that she made it, and I'm um, here to support me. And uh, I've been working through the stuff with her also, and they they kind of remind me of each other, you know, because, you know, they always kind of point me towards the big book in the 12 and 12, and that's what I need, you know. I, I don't need anybody that's just going to, you know, tell me something off the top of their head and, and everything. You know, I need somebody that's going to point me towards the book, point me towards the big book or the 12 and 12, and they're going to share their experience and hope. And um, so it's been a, a wonderful journey. Um, I did my fourth step a couple of years ago, back in 98, with her. I did my fifth step with her, and it really revealed a lot. And um, after doing it, um, she said, you know, um, and this was just a suggestion, and um, and it was okay with me. She said, uh, I suggest that you stay out of a sex ship for about a year. <laughs> and I said, uh Wow, what in order? I can't go through with it. <laughs> I said, no, you know, I said, no, that's okay with me, you know. And I know it doesn't say that anywhere in the book, you know, because people are telling me, oh, it doesn't talk about that in the big book, no sex, but, you know, there's a lot of things that's not in the big book that we do. And uh, so it was okay with me, and uh, so so I did that. And and what that gave me was a chance to really get to know Andrea, you know. It gave me a chance to not settle for less. And, um, you know, that's the best way that I can explain it. You know, it just got to give me a chance to get to know me and everything. Um, I uh, left in 1999. Um, I'm really grateful for the um, spring roundup um, because, you know, whenever I come to this uh, convention, for a weekend, I always get something that I can take home with me and help me to be a better Andrea. And I always learn something that I can start applying to my life. And this one year, 1999, they had some really great speakers here. And um, I remember thinking that, you know, I'm going to go to my mother and talk to her. Because I grew up, I never knew my father or anything. And uh, I went to her. Um, and I talked to her and I said I would like to um, get this letter that my stepmother had wrote to my grandparents um, when my dad died. You know, I wanted to get that letter and because uh, it contained a list of all the addresses of my aunts and uncles and everything. And um, she said, you know, you don't even know what these people are like, you know, and um, they could be drug addicts and alcoholics. And I said, and they could be just like me, you know. They could be in recovery. And so um, I I kind of figured that, you know, I would not get that letter. And the next morning, my mother called me in her room, and, and she said, here are the letters that you were talking about. And she gave me the two letters, and I was happy as I could be. I started looking at them. I only had two, and I was looking at the uh, post dates and putting them in order. <laughs> and mind you, I only had two, you know. <laughs> I felt like Whoopi Goldberg in the color purple, you know. And uh, so I um, I went to my room and um, and I read the first one and uh, it was from my dad to my mother and um, and he was and, you know it just took me back, you know. I could just feel things in that letter and he was talking about how's my baby and um, you know and saying take care of my baby and. Um, the next letter was the um the letter that my stepmother wrote to my grandmother and thanking her for the telegram and everything and and gave me a list of um all of my aunts and uncles their names and their addresses and everything and uh and obituaries and it didn't have a picture you know and I think 
Sometimes I think that if I would have saw a picture, I would have been happy with that. You know, but I'm glad there wasn't a picture on there because it pressed me to go on further. Uh, when I got back to town, I got on the internet and started looking up these names and addresses, and I finally got Matt for one of them. And my aunt here told me, you know, give me a few days and I'll tell you how we should proceed. And she started writing a letter. Um, every week I said, you finish the letter. She said, no. And then I kind of got off doing my own thing. And so in July of 99, I said, you know, enough is enough. I need to try and contact these people because I knew that they were getting up in the 80s. Um, I, after my home group one, um, Tuesday, I went home and I started calling. Well, I called my sponsor first because I was really nervous. Um, the one that lives in Florida. And, um, I got her best friend and she was telling me, you know, when you pick up the phone, just say, after you die, after you. So, I picked up the phone and I was saying that. I started about, um, 7 o'clock trying to call. And there would be no answer. Um, 8 o'clock. No answer, and I'm like, what is this woman? I know that she's getting up and, hey, she doesn't need to be out this late at night, you know? And, um, it's about 8.30 or 9, and I'm like, <laughs> and I said, well, maybe she's on vacation, you know? It's about 9.30, I called for the last time, and, uh, somebody picked up the phone, and I said, um, hello, may I speak to Mrs. Ollie Jane? And, uh, she said, who's calling? I said, my name is Andrea Callie. And she said, Andrea, Denise, Allie. And I was like, yeah. You know, and I started looking at the door and blinking my eyes and trying. I said, this would be a good time to start crying, you know. And no tears would come. And uh, so I just said, yeah, I got And she said, you know, we've been waiting for you to contact us. And I thought, really? And she said, yeah, you know, your um, stepmother just called here a week ago and wanted to know if you ever tried to contact us. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. She said, um, and you're, she said, I have a baby picture of you that your dad gave me before he passed away. He told me to, um, look out for you. And he said he wasn't, said he wasn't worried about me financially, but, you know, just wanted, you know, to look over me and guide me and everything. And she said, I was looking at that picture the other day, and I thought, where is this child? You know, and I said, really? And she said, yeah. And, um, she said, your brothers were just here, and um, before they left to go to their destination, they said a prayer that they would find you. And I thought, really? And she said, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and and she just started talking about how, um, talking about my dad and, and everything, and uh, she gave me my brother's phone numbers and names and stuff, and uh, she gave me my stepmother's name and address and everything, and, uh, the next day, she said she wanted to call my stepmother. I said, go ahead, you know. And um, so she called and gave her all the information. And the next day, I got a call from my oldest brother. And uh, he says, hi, I'm looking for Andrea Denise Hallie Shaw. And that is not my last name, Shaw. <laughs> and she just added that on there. And um, she said, this is your brother. And um, he said, we've been praying for you. And uh, she said that... Uh, you know, look, you have um, two brothers, and we have kids, and you're not alone anymore. And um, I remember, you know, just hearing that and just feeling warm all over. And uh, he gave me his number, and I proceeded to call him back. And, you know, my aunt that lives here, she said, you know, we should have did this long time ago. And I said, yeah, but, you know, it happened when it was supposed to. And, um, you know, and Alcoholics Anonymous has given me that, you know, to not, you know, just go in with her and say, yeah, we should have did this long time ago, and da-da-da-da-da, you know. It gave me the ability to say, yeah, we should have, but, you know, it's okay. It happened when it was supposed to happen. And um talked to him, and then the next day, my other brother called me, and, um, you know, it was, it came at a time when I needed it the most because um a lady that I regard as my godmother had just died, and, um, you know, finding them has helped me to get through and uh it's it's just been awesome, you know. Um the um friendship and the love and everything. And uh just uh Wednesday, um I had you know, I found out I had three aunts, um two of them were twins and I had three uncles and like I say, two brothers and 
My grandmother had a total of five kids, and she said, as far as she's concerned, all five of, of um, boys are my brothers. And, um, you know, that was really neat. And um, I talked to all of them, and uh, it's really been great, you know, having them all in my life. And the, ne- the day after I had talked to my aunt, you know, I was sitting at my desk, and I felt like a guy in the um, Terminator 2 Judgment Day where, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton was up there shooting him and everything, and the metal would kind of protrude out of him, you know, and you could see the hole in him, and then he looked down, and then all of a sudden he started coming back together. Well, that next day after talking to my aunt, I could just feel my insides mending together, you know, and for the first time I felt like a whole complete person. And, um, you know, since that time, um, Last, this past Wednesday, um, one of my aunts died, and, uh, that, um, it really, you know, took me for a chance, and, uh, but we knew it was gonna happen. And I did my grieving on Wednesday, and I grieved a lot. I'm still grieving, you know, but not as heavy as I was. Um, I never got to see her face to face, but talked to her on the phone, and she sent, sent me money for school, and she was very instrumental in me going back to school, and, um, um, going back to college and trying to get a, um, a degree in, uh, in microcomputer technology. So um, uh, she will be missed, and I'll, I'll really miss hearing her voice. You know, and um, I don't know. I I have nothing else to share really except for to say that um, I was asked to come here to share my experiences and hope, and that my experiences that I drank and I drugged to cover up feelings and to fit in and, and to be a part of and to cover up things. And, and I thought drinking could, you know, if I had a problem, drinking was the solution. And um, I found out that it is not the solution. It only makes things worse. And um, that's my experience. And my strength is uh, people like yourselves and rooms like this that help me, you know, to get through it one day at a time by sharing your experience and hope on how you got through different problems, you know, through your life and everything. Um, my strength is a big book. It's not that, it's not uh, really big, you know. It's not the Bible or anything. It doesn't cost 25 bucks. <laughs> you know, um, like I heard people say, you know, in it contains my medicine, you know, and um, um, my 12, uh, 12 pills to um, live in a, a, a new, a new power of peace and a happiness, you know. And um that's what I've obtained through this fellowship. You know, every day is not a bed of roses, you know, but I just try and get through it one day at a time, you know, just by talking to people and going to meetings and, and bringing up topics or whatever. You know, in my first year of sobriety, I bring up a topic every Monday at this group I went to. It got to the point where they say, any, any, um, any topic? And they just immediately started looking at me, you know. <laughs> they would just wait for me to say, you know, um, I have my strength. I have a home group today, you know, it's the afterwards group of Alcoholics Anonymous. We meet on Haven's Corner Road at the um, community. I forget the name of the church. I just go there, you know. <laughs> I go there. And, um it's in the it's in the directory. It's the front of the central office, and uh, it meets every Tuesday at five o'clock. Uh, it's a speaker meeting. It's a really really good meeting. Um, I got that when I was about two two and a half years sober. After my sponsor moved out of town, and uh, I started going to East Side meetings, and you know people just accepted me for me, you know, and not because I had the sponsor that I had or you know anything else. And uh, so that's my um, home group and. My strength is um, God, you know, because without God, you know, I wouldn't have anything. Um, my strength is AA, of course, and um, my hope is that everybody keeps coming back and finding some of the hope that I found in this movie, because it does work, you know, if you work it. And I couldn't understand that when I came into this program. They said, at the end of the meeting, they say, keep coming back. It works if you work it. And I'm like, what is it? You know, and they say, it works. Well, what works? It. What's it? It works. You know, 
Hey, you know, another one of those things. But I'm glad they say that, you know, because it kept me coming back, you know. So it just kept me coming back, you know. And I just hope that everybody keeps coming back and finding some of the hope and the love and the, um, I don't know, faith and prosperity that I found in this um, fellowship because it does work. Thank you.